Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and uh, just uh, kind of share some thoughts uh, that the Lord really began to put in my heart in the last really two weeks. I really feel like the Lord has spoke to me some things concerning the season that we're living in. I'm excited to share them with you. Uh, We're going to be looking at, over the next probably several weeks, we're going to begin today, a series dealing with the book of Ezra. Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporaries. They were people who worked together, and you will find especially Ezra mentioned in the book of Nehemiah. I don't know if you know this or not, but sometimes we read our Bibles in chronological order, and we think that's uh, that's probably the order of how it happened. And of course, it does with Ezra and Nehemiah. But as you get to the latter part of uh, the Old Testament, you will find men like Haggai and Zechariah, and they also were contemporaries with these uh, people who were in this time of Reformation and restoring and rebuilding Jerusalem and coming back from Babylonian captivity. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit today about where I believe we are at in, the, in, in human history. I believe that uh, really uh, we are probably in one of the uh, one, one of the, the, the most incredible times of reformation of human history. And as I begin to look at some of the patterns of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, I really felt the Lord quicken some stuff to me concerning Ezra and Nehemiah. Now let me just say first of all to you, that Ezra, his name means my helper. Nehemiah, his name means the comforter. And uh, a few weeks ago on Sunday morning, my pastor mentioned these two things, and it just just ignited. Man, it just went off in my spirit, and I began to probably, went home and probably wrote 12 pages of notes, and some of this I'm going to be sharing with you over the last several weeks. But when I see the helper and I see the comforter, immediately uh, what my spirit says is, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I believe we are really in one of the greatest times of reformation of human history. Now, uh, you know, I believe that work God is doing is bigger than revival. I believe it's really bigger than, than revival. As, as a matter of fact, and I, I don't want to make anybody mad here to start out with, but as a matter of fact, when I started to study this, I put the word revival in my search throughout the scriptures of the King James Version, and I found that the word revival is never used in the New Testament. I think that the word revive is only ever used a couple times in the Old Testament. And uh, now that doesn't mean I don't believe God's Spirit is moving and hovering, but I do believe that what He's about to do is much bigger than revival. And uh, you know, sometimes what we've called revival is when we stand around altars repeatedly begging God to do what He's already done. Or, you know, and about the time we, we, we go through all of the stuff of uh, repenting over and over and over and over again, and, and it seems like it always eludes us what we're looking for, or if we hit that plateau of what it seems like we're, uh, what we're looking for, then because they want to sustain revival, we've got to up the ante and say, well, we're, we're going to go to the next level and the next level and the next level. And there's always something outside of our reach uh, to where when the heart, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, we keep on keeping it out of the reach of people, reaching and reaching. What if 
we stood around altars, and I'm certainly not opposed to altar services. I'm certainly not opposed to people repenting. But what if somewhere in our preaching we shifted from a need-based, man-centered gospel, and we started putting on the focus on not what you don't have, but what you do have as believers, and that when you start to tell them, listen, of His fullness have all we received, and grace upon grace, you are, you know, in Him dwell all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him. And what would happen if people would come to the revelation and the realization of what they already have inside of them? they would become distributors. See, even any of the historic revivals that you've seen down through history came when somebody that was standing around the altar realized, I've got what we keep on asking God for. You know, one of the times that I had the privilege to preach with the late Dr. T.L. Osborne in a, a couple of conferences, one of the things that he, that, that he said struck me, and it was such, such a powerful thing, it stuck with me, and he said, we either spend more time asking God to do something He's already done, or trying to get Him to do something He told me to do. I believe what we're going to see is that God wants to bring a reformation, but He's going to do it through people. And I believe this season of shake-up and this season of chaos is literally a season where it is uh, about uh, coming to a place of reforming and, and taking another look at some things. And when we begin to realize that the church has left the building, but, but they haven't left the kingdom of God. The church is still the church, even though they had not been in the building. Now, as we begin to gather back again, because I believe that is very important, we'll see as, even as we look through uh, these texts in the book of Ezra, that one of the things that Ezra did was he began to establish synagogues. Now, I want you to know that the synagogue and the temple are two different things. The temple is up in Jerusalem. Synagogues were what would be their learning centers, or what would be equivalent to our local churches. And one of the things that Ezra did as he was he began to restore the teaching of the Word of God back to the house of Israel because they had been in Babylonian captivity so long that they had lost their national identity with their covenant, with their God, with their temple, and with their city until they were so disconnected that the Bible said they spoke half the language of the Chaldeans, and I think it was half the language of the Babylonians. In other words, there was not a pure language language among them. And I, I, I get concerned as I listen sometimes even to people talk in our day, and, and it's almost as if the language is, is, is removed into, you know, kind of mixing, if you will, uh, uh, the jargon of Christianity with the, with the language of the world. One of the things I've noticed strikingly quite a bit is people in, uh, you know, if you have social media, you can read, and they'll send, they say something to you like, I'm going to send you good vibes. Well, uh, good vibes aren't going to get the job done. If you ask me, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to believe in the name of Jesus that something is done. But we mix that language with new age type thinking so that it kind of makes what we're saying more palatable and more acceptable. But I believe somewhere in the midst of it, we water down the gospel and somehow lose our identity as the people of God that are supposed to be the salt and the light in the world. Now, you know, before I get too much in this, because again, I, I'm going to unpack a lot of this and take my time with it, but Ezra and Nehemiah, to me, speak of the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And uh, let, let me just get, continue to talk, and then we'll read some text out of this as we go. But Ezra and Nehemiah, let me speak of the work of the Holy Spirit. I was, I was in uh, Pennsylvania this weekend preaching and uh, declaring some of these things for the first time in some of the meetings that I was in. And uh, I just really began to think about how God had really, uh, throughout at least my lifetime, I can think of the emphasis on certain things. I can remember the emphasis being on Jesus the Son, and we ought to always put our focus on Him and His finished work, and, and the emphasis is, was on sonship. That was one of the things that God began to restore back to the church, probably in the 80s and 90s, last part, even in the 70s. I can remember, you know, there's a lot of different things. Uh, I can remember when people thought, thought the message of sonship. But, uh, you know, the truth of it is, is we're sons of God, we're no longer slaves. Under the old covenant we were servants and slaves, and the new covenant we're sons. And a great emphasis was put on the son and sonship and the work and person of Jesus Christ the Son, and we are not going to leave that behind. But in the 90s and, and a lot of the 90s, especially up to the 2000s, and even up until even recently, there's been a great emphasis on the Father, that, that you know, Jesus came to show us the Father, and what the Father looks like. And, uh, you know, some great songs have been written about He's a good, good Father, and, and our concept began to shift from not just sonship, because you can't have sons without a father. And we begin to represent or represent the father as a good father, not this old man on a Victorian chair with white hair with a club in his hand who couldn't wait to beat you upside the head. But we begin to preach, he's Abba. Now you say, well, that's, uh, you know, that's just really basic. I can tell you this, it was revolutionary to a first century audience. Because the moment that Jesus says to uh, his crowd, I and my Father are one, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. And uh, he said to them, many good works have I shown you from my Father. For which one of these works do you stone me? And they said, for a good work we stone thee not, but because thou being a man, makest thyself God. In other words, Jesus identified with God as his Father. And then the Apostle Paul writes and says, He has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, which is a term of endearment that's equivalent to us saying, Daddy God, or Dad, or Dad, Dad. It's Abba. He's Abba. He's not just this, uh, this uh, you know, strange God that we know nothing about that lives on a planet somewhere. We started to see that this God has a nature, and He has the nature of a Father. And He has our best interest in mind as a Father. And then the Apostle John would write and say, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we might be called the sons of God. He said, Beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. But He called it an incredible quality of love, that we might even be called the sons of God. Galatians 3 and 4 says, When we were under the law, we were servants. But now we're no longer servants and strangers, but we're heirs and joint heirs and fellow citizens. We've been placed as sons of God. 
And, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul said that the creation was waiting on the manifestation of the sons of God. And, and so we begin to see God as this awesome, incredible Father. Something that was not really revealed much throughout the Old Covenant was the Father aspect of God. A God who would literally dote His children on His knee and, and would be a God who would have your best interest in mind and a Father to us. And, you know, the more I've developed that relationship and been able to draw nigh to Him uh, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a heart that really wanted to pursue that relationship with Him as Father. And, you know, perhaps, you know, that's a bad word to you. Perhaps you didn't have a good father. When you hear about a father, there's something in you that just wants to kind of resist that. But I want to tell you something. When you really meet this God I'm talking about and you find out how good He is, He's a good, good Father. And He'll be a Father to us, and Jesus came to reveal that to us. But I really felt like the Lord spoke to me that in this season that we are in right now, that there's going to come a fresh emphasis on the work and power of the Holy Ghost. Now, as I came into the things of God and got saved in the late 60s, early 70s, there was a move of the Holy Ghost that we, where I got most of my Pentecostal roots. But I really felt the Lord speak to me that we are in the season where we're going to find a fresh emphasis. We're not going to leave, of course, the Son behind. We're not going to leave the Father behind. But we know a lot about the Father, and we know a lot about the Son. But I believe God wants to say some fresh things to us about the Holy Ghost, or at least renew our minds to some things that we already know about the Holy Ghost. So when I begin to see this whole text of Ezra and Nehemiah as one meaning the comforter and the other being the helper, I was reminded of a passage in John chapter 14 where Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless. Now the Greek word for comfortless there is the Greek word orphanos. It is the English word we get. We get the English word orphan from that word orphanos. It could literally be translated, I, I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus was talking about, it is expedient for you to go, that I go. I'm sorry, it was expedient for you that I go. Because if I don't go, the comforter will not come whom I will send. But what I want you to know is that the word comforter is a completely different Greek word than the word comfortless. Comfortless was a Greek word orphanos or orphan, but comforter is the Greek word paraclete. It literally means an attorney or a defense counsel or an advocate. And so what I begin to hear the Lord say is that he, the, the work of the Holy Spirit is going to become, uh, I believe, to the forefront. I mean, like I said, there's a whole lot of stuff. It's kind of, somebody said this to me this week when we were talking about these things. He said, you know, a lot of people, to them, the Holy Ghost is like the crazy uncle you keep in the basement you don't want nobody to see when company comes around because that crazy uncle can act crazy when he comes. And if you've never been around Pentecost, you don't know what I mean, but I'm going to tell you sometimes I've been in some meetings where uh, there was some crazy stuff that happened under the power of the Holy Ghost. But, you know, I've even seen people that would almost, you know, uh, well, not almost, they would literally quench the Spirit because they were embarrassed by the work of the Holy Ghost. But I'm going to tell you the Holy Ghost has been given and the Holy Spirit has been given to us 
for power, for manifestation, to bring all things to remembrance that He spoke to us. He teaches us how to pray. I've had, in, before even the Lord said some of these things to me, I had a fresh emphasis. I had the Lord kind of speak to me about praying in the Holy Ghost. Because let me just, I mean, I'm just, I'm just so full this, this afternoon while I'm, I'm filming this that it's, it's hard for me not to chase every little thing that I see. But I felt like, you know, the, the Lord dropped the scripture. First of all, He says, to, uh, you know, that when you pray, and you pray in the Holy Ghost, you build yourself up in your most holy faith. You build yourself up. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in songs and in hymns and in spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. But he tells them that when they pray, and they pray in the Holy Ghost, so they pray in an unknown tongue, it edifies or builds themselves up. And all of a sudden I begin to realize that if Ezra and Nehemiah speak of the uh, the Comforter and the Helper, that these guys were building a city and they were building up something, they were building up walls, and they were building up the city, and one of the main thrusts that really rung in my spirit when my pastor said this the first time was, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, in the midst of Babylonian captivity, said, Arise, let us build. And as, I th- as, as, as she began to talk, man, my mind just began to go to different things. And, and I thought about, well, what, not, not necessarily that we need to build buildings. I think we've built plenty of buildings. And the issue here is not about building buildings, but maybe we need to build relationships. Maybe we need to build up the family again. Maybe we need to build up the local church. Maybe we need to build up one another. Maybe we need to reach across the aisle and restore some relationships with people we haven't had for a while. And maybe we need to let the work of the Holy Ghost, first of all, start that building up process by building us up on our most holy faith, because there's a lot of people who are scared and fearful, and they think things are falling apart. But I believe that God is really wanting to speak a word that builds us up. He wants us to begin to hear from the power and the Spirit of the Holy Ghost that we begin to discover and use that power to bring deliverance to a creation because I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to do a work in the earth. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of all kinds of stuff that's going on, I shared this way back, several programs, way back, maybe even last year sometime, I talked about chaos is the end of what's not working anymore. But it's also the beginning of something. So what happens is when we get in enough chaos, it brings us to repentance. Now either the goodness of God can lead us to repentance, which is the best way to, to respond to the goodness of God. When I say repentance, I'm not just talking about getting saved all the time. I'm talking about a change of the way we think. The word repent is the Greek word metanoia, and it means you need to change the way you think. And sometimes we don't like to change. We don't like to change the way we think. We don't like to change, you know, uh, how things are. And all of a sudden we get forced into chaos and it forces change. But right in the midst of chaos, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, And in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the great deep. There was chaos. And it was chaos and darkness ruled the face of the great deep. But watch this. But the Spirit of God moved on the face 
of the waters, or the great deep. God hovered over the waters and spoke in the midst of that chaos. Let there be light. And I prophesy to you today, as I sit here today before this camera, and say to you that in the midst of this chaos, light be. And when we begin to get a revelation and light begins to flood, the eyes of our understanding begin to be flooded with light, all of a sudden the chaos gives way to form and to cosmos and to shape and to order and to government. And then the next step in creation is, and the earth begins to bring forth. I believe that we're in a season where God is hovering. He's moving again. It may not look like you think it ought to look like when God moves. Sometimes we don't think God's moving unless we got a chill bump and everybody's laying all over the floor. And I'm not opposed to that again. But I'm going to tell you there might be a move of God that's much deeper than we can imagine and see God under the surface of a whole lot of stuff hovering over creation. And I thought to myself of the time even that Jesus was on the planet was one of the most chaotic times of human history when the priesthood was corrupt, the government was corrupt, the temple leaders were corrupt, uh, the Roman Empire was corrupt, people were being persecuted, there was all kinds, there was famines, there was all kinds of stuff going on. And God chose that season in history to send His Son to begin a whole new project called New Creation, to bring about a brand new creation. And the work of the Holy Spirit has been continuing the work that He began even right before He ascended on high. Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, maybe it's chapter 2, but 1 and 2, somewhere in that range, when he was about to ascend, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom back to Israel? And this is what he said to them, but you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Judea and in Jerusalem and the other most part of the earth. What he was simply saying to them is, I'm going to restore the kingdom but I'm going to do it through a people, but you will receive power. See, the Holy Spirit is more than just a Shundai and a Hukamashai and talking in tongues. Well, I'm certainly glad and appreciate that. I was going to say just a few moments ago that I've had a season where I really felt like the Lord has really moved on me to just pray in the Holy Ghost. When you don't know how to pray, the Scripture says that the Spirit knows what is the mind of the Spirit, searches all things. And, and when there are groanings within us that we cannot articulate, the Spirit Himself will make intercession for you. And I really begin to feel like the Lord began to instruct me to say, all right, even when you're praying in the Spirit, praying in the Holy Ghost, and you're praying in another tongue, and you're praying in the Holy Ghost, even last night, I woke up in the middle of the night and just wasn't going back to sleep, and just, I let the Lord bring people to my mind, or needs that I'm aware of, that, uh, that we've become aware of that we're praying about, and I, and I begin to just focus on that individual or that need or that, that problem and just pray in the Holy Ghost. I begin to think about our nation and our leaders and, and I just begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. I begin to direct it towards something and not just randomly do that. But I, I just felt like when I come out, when I finish those times of prayer, there's something being built up in me. Just like the season of Ezra and Nehemiah, the walls were being rebuilt. I never forget what the Scripture says in Isaiah. He said, Thy walls shall be called 
salvation and your gates shall be called praise. So I believe God is building something redemptive in our lives. The walls that are salvation, that are protective shields against even viruses and all kinds of crazy stuff that's going on here. But we must make room for the move of the Holy Ghost in our churches. And I believe God is raising up uh, leaders like Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai and Zechariah that are going to prophesy and encourage the people and speak to them the need for the work of the Holy Spirit to begin to build up, to edify, and to do a work inside of us. I was in a meeting not too awful long ago, actually I think it was last year, and a well-known speaker, I won't say his name because I just don't want to drop names, but uh, he was in the meeting, and this man pastors a couple of mega churches, but he also is a professor at one of uh, our top schools in this nation, and he said that they had him teaching the validity of the power of the Holy Spirit in the 21st century, and he looked at that auditorium full of about several hundred pastors, and he said, some of you guys have built churches at the expense of putting the third person of the Godhead in the closet because you're embarrassed if the Holy Ghost shows up on a Sunday morning service. And he said, I think you're missing the mark because what these young people that I'm preaching and teaching in college are looking for a true encounter with the power of the Holy Ghost. And I, I, I encourage pastors today, create an environment for the Holy Spirit to move and do His work. I was in a, a, a denominational church. This has been back several years ago, and I sat on the platform. It was a Sunday morning, and I, uh, a woman gave a message in tongues on Sunday morning, and I saw the pastor looking over at one of the deacons and tell him, go set her down. And the deacon went to set her down, and I thought, this wasn't out of order. And I could feel the Spirit. I knew God wanted to speak. And I leaned over and said to the pastor, why did you do that? And he said, we don't allow that in our Sunday morning service. It, 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 it offends our prominent guest. And I sat there and kind of boiled a little bit. I leaned over to him. I said, I don't know if you want me to preach or not this morning. And he said, why is that? I said, because if you don't want the Holy Ghost to talk, you probably got the wrong cat by the tail here this morning because I'm going to offend your prominent guest. See, what happened to us when our prominent guests are more important than the most important guest of all, and that's the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost. And I think we must begin to create an environment where the Holy Spirit is welcome to move and, and saturate us and bring the changes. Because I'm going to tell you, if you don't need the Holy Ghost, I certainly do. And if you'd watch and see, we are desperate right now for a move of God in our churches, not just our buildings, but even as we are vacating these buildings that the Holy Spirit is carried through the temples of God that we are out to creation to speak words that edify, build up, and change them. We're going to delve into this, but we're out of time for the first segment here, and I want to thank you for joining us. And uh, let me just tell you that we are not traveling much, so your support is really needed. Uh, what you don't support goes away, but we really truly do need your support because when we don't travel, it's over half of our income. And if you are watching us and you appreciate what we're doing, please take a moment to sow into the ministry. There will be a way you can give via credit card or you can give debit card. You can send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen or you can call the number that's on the screen. If no one answers the call, leave a message and we will call you back. We don't have a large team to be able to answer all the calls that come in at the moment they come in. But God bless you. Join us again next week at the same time. God bless you. 
I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.